Hey, um, it's really cool to be with you guys. Thanks a lot for having me, and um, it's really cool just to, just to get to know the refuge and Coffee Oasis. We moved here a year and a half ago from Baltimore. Baltimore, that's how you say it, uh, Maryland, and um, um, so to Pastor Seaside, uh, which is right over at Evergreen Park, and um, it's been a blessing to get to know Daniel and, and Brother Daryl as well, and uh, appreciate their friendship especially. Just being the new guy, new kid on the block, and just getting to kind of join with what God is doing in our city. Amen. It's an awesome thing to be a part of. So I love, uh, I love being here. I love Bremerton. I love just what God is doing, and I, that I get to be a part of it. So this morning uh, we're going to jump into Mark chapter eight, one through twenty-one, um, and uh, the title of the message is "Lead Like Jesus." And so this is a very simple message. It's a very simple passage to kind of get our heads around. Um, there's nothing tricky about this. Jesus is the greatest leader to ever walk the earth. Um, there's no doubt about that. It can be argued that, that no one has influenced the history of the world more than Jesus Christ. And yet what's fascinating about Jesus is he, he didn't do many of the things that make men and women great leaders. He never owned property. He never ran for a political office. He never got married and had kids. He never you know, owned land. He was only in the public eye for three years, but we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. There's no one like Jesus. Um, and, Jesus has, and, and, and Jesus has come to do the greatest thing that any leader could do, and that is reconcile sinners like us to a holy God. <laughs> that we could, be, we could come back together, as, as Daniel just said, with God. We could know God. Right? Something that maybe we get comfortable with in church but something that that really blows your mind if you think about it, right? And Jesus has come to do that. And so we're going to look at Jesus' Jesus's example of leadership this morning, um, and we're going to learn some things uh, from him. And and we, need, we all need to do this for at least two reasons, okay? The first reason is that we all lead in some way. We all lead in some way. First and foremost, we just lead ourselves, right? <laughs> we make decisions, basic decisions every day. Like, even last night, going to bed at a certain time. Some of us are like, man, I stayed up too late. You know, you're kind of feeling it, you know? Right? <laughs> like, we make decisions. Um, we lead our lives. We lead ourselves. Um, some of you have leadership roles on your job. You, you lead other employees that work underneath you as a supervisor or as a boss. Um, interestingly, I, I came across an article in, in Forbes that talked about the 10 toughest leadership positions, and you have stuff like CEO, football coach, pastors made the list, second in command of any organization made the list. I thought that was interesting. But the number one toughest leadership job on the planet is actually being a parent. <laughs> That's number one. And so parents are leaders. Those of you that are with your friends, uh, peer groups, right? There's leaders in your, in your peer group. Like you're either a leader or people are following you or you're following them. So leadership is just, it's just all around us. Um, don't think like, well, I'm not a leader, so this doesn't relate to me. No, you are a leader. You lead yourself, at least, <laughs> if you don't lead anyone else. Another reason we need to hear this and we need to learn this from Jesus is because we all need help in this area. <laughs> we all feel inadequate. We all feel like failures. We all feel like we're making mistakes at times, even as we just lead our own lives and, 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 and lead others, for those of us that have that opportunity. So... We're just going to see and look in this passage and see how Jesus led three groups of people. We may not get to the third group. We'll see how much time we got. But um, and, and we're just going to kind of look at this and 
And, and, and what, there's two things that I want us to do as we read through this passage. One is to obviously learn about how Jesus led these three groups of people, but also to think about ourselves and go, which group am I in? Okay? Which group am I, do I kind of fit in? Okay? And so we're going to see Jesus loving the crowd, Jesus leaving his opposition, and Jesus warning his disciples. And we're going to pull out some leadership lessons as we walk through that. Does that sound good? Yes. All right, cool. So um, I'd like to just pray again, um, just ask for God's help, and I'd like to pray for you guys as well. So let me just do that. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the refuge, church, and coffee oasis, and just friendships here for myself, Lord. So grateful for this body of believers. Um, Lord, I just I pray this morning that you'd open our eyes uh, as we look into your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the greatest leader to ever live, that no one leads like you, no one has led like you, that your word calls you the, the chief shepherd, that you're the senior pastor of every church and of our lives. And uh, we want to come before you again this morning and just submit to you again. And we also want to be honest and confess that we've, even this week, Lord, we've followed other leaders, Lord, we've We've given our heart and our attention to lesser forms of leadership, Lord. And we've been led astray, um, even as we followed our own hearts. And so we want to begin just by confessing that and repenting and asking for your mercy and forgiveness for our sins and how we have walked away from you. You're the great shepherd. You're the good shepherd. But we've looked to other shepherds and leaders. And we thank you that um, as the perfect leader, as the good leader, you don't just you didn't just come down like a boss and, and, and we're your employees, but you came and you lived among us and you, and you lived the life that we were supposed to live and you died the death that we were supposed to die in our place as a substitute for our sins. And you have led us <clears throat> to the greatest place where we could be and that is to be reconciled with you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we thank you um, for that great demonstration and we thank you um, we get to follow you, and I just pray for each one of us today that um, you would bring us to that place of following you, God. And, and even as we lead our lives and lead others, we know that we're going to fail. <clears throat> but we're so thankful that you have come and you have forgiven us of our sins um, for those who come to you and trust you so that even when we lead and even when we fail as leaders, we don't have to have fear, we don't have to run. We can come to you and be restored and get back up and keep on the mission you've called us to be on. And so just pray that you'd open up our eyes and hearts this morning, that each of us would just take something from this message that we need. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Mark 8, uh, first thing, Jesus loves the crowds. Okay, look at, look at these first few verses here in Mark 8, chapter 1. Oh, thank you. Awesome. All right. Ooh, it's got a lemony. I like that lemony flavor in there. Nice. All right, let's look at this. Uh, verse 1. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having 
given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Um, so Jesus, in this scene, he'd been preaching and teaching for three days. They had a little Bible conference going on, right? And um, uh, towards the end of that, he notices that whatever food that they had brought had run out, Okay. And I love this about Jesus, right? Jesus isn't just concerned with, we've got to stay on the schedule and keep the, the conference going. He's like, hey, people look, I don't, you know, there's a need here, right? He isn't just concerned about their spiritual well-being, but he's also concerned about their physical need, right? And, and, and Jesus, it says here, I've, I have compassion on the crowd. Um, you see his love for people, his tenderness for people. He, he's like, I don't want to see people passing out on the way home. <laughs> They've got to hike back. You ever been on a hike with no food? You know, you get kind of a little, you know, some of, some of us are like churches going along. We're like, I need lunch, you know, <laughs> right? So Jesus feels that. And so, so what does Jesus do? He brings his disciples together for a leadership team meeting, right? That's why we have these things in churches. Like, how do we have to so many meetings? Well, Jesus did that, all right? So, and, 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 and from that, we see this, the, a first observation or kind of principle about leadership is this. Leaders take responsibility for others, Okay. Leaders take responsibility for others. Um, Jesus sees the people, right? He doesn't ignore their needs. He takes it on himself. He feels a burden for it. Um, and, and he starts to kind of make some planning decisions. For those, any type A people here? Right? Details, right? Some of you are like, you don't want to raise your hand. <laughs> right? That's what Jesus does here, so you're good, right? I'm just, you're just being like Jesus when you ask about the details. Jesus is like, there's no food here. What's going on? Um, and, and, and Jesus just, you know, this is a very simple lesson. Um, he, he, he makes some decisions, okay? <laughs> he takes some responsibility. You know, this is what leaders do. They, they take responsibility and they decide. Leaders decide. Leaders don't just let things go forever. And that's what Jesus does here. And so we kind of just see that very simply from the very beginning. This is what Jesus does. Another thing about G- another thing that we learn from this passage is that leaders lovingly serve the crowds, not just their family and friends. Okay, um, Jesus obviously he's got compassion on the crowds. Um, he, he he looks over them. He's ca- he cares about them. He's concerned for them. And and one of the questions that kind of the Holy Spirit kind of tugged on my heart as I studied this text was, you know, what about me? You know, what about us when it comes to the crowds? You know, are we annoyed when we see lots of people? <laughs> You know, when the shipyard's letting out and there's, other, you know, and there's crowds, there's traffic. Those of you who have kids in elementary school, you ever try to pick them up after school? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's our heart for the crowds? You know, like, Jesus loves crowds. Jesus loves people. Some of us are like, I don't like a lot of people. Well, you got to deal with that, you know, like with Jesus, because Jesus loves people, you know. I don't know if you can follow Jesus and not like people and not like the crowds, you know, and it's challenging, right? Um, I mean, it, there's a lot of people there. And here's another thing about the crowds and with Jesus. There were a lot of people there that were just there out of curiosity, you know? Some of them became believers. Probably many of them didn't, okay? But Jesus still serves them anyway, right? 
right? Knowing that some of them are just there to get a free meal, right? They're never going to go, they're not going to come back, they're not going to follow him. He still serves them anyway. He was okay with that, you know? We can learn a lot from that, can't we? That as we go out to serve, right? You know, we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people connect with our church, but some people are going to move. They're going to go to another church. They're not going to come back to church, and that's okay, right? It was okay with Jesus. It's got to be okay with us. Um, Another thing uh, about this is that it's easy to serve those who may serve you back, right? You invite somebody over, you're like, yeah, they're probably going to invite me over sometime. I know they cook really good, so it's cool, you know? I'm getting something back from this. But do you have anyone in your life that you serve and you're not going to get anything back from? Right? And that was the case for Jesus. You know, part of leading like Jesus is being okay with serving people that they're never going to give anything back to you. You're never going to get nothing back from them. And only God sees, right? And only God kind of tallies that up and knows that sacrifice that you made. Are you okay with that? Am I okay with that? Jesus Jesus, uh, operated in that mode with his love and compassion. Another thing about leadership here, with leaders in the crowd, is that leaders have to make personal sacrifices to meet needs. Okay, so Jesus sees this need, right? You see this in verses 4 through 5, and he tells the disciples, um, and the disciples are like, Jesus, uh, we don't have any food, you know? Like, we don't have enough for all these people. How are we going to do this? And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus, Jesus, right, asks them to give him what they have. Isn't this how it is when God calls you to a task? When God calls you to something that's bigger than you? (laughs) Right? Jesus just asks us to give him what we have, you know? (laughs) What do you have? Give me what you have. He doesn't say it's all on you, figure it all out. You know, I'm out of here. You guys figure this out. I'm going to go pray for a little bit. You guys figure out how to feed it, you know. He just says, give me what you have. Right? I love that. And he asks them to make a sacrifice. Leaders have to make personal sacrifices to meet needs. Right? Jesus, I don't know, I don't know what you know about Christianity or about following Jesus. If you just thought like, you know, this is just God's going to be there for me and God's just going to give me a nice life. God, he's going to call you to give some stuff up, right? (laughs) Your time, your money, your heart, there's sacrifice, right? There's a call to be generous, to give. But in that, there's so much freedom to begin to hold our lives and everything we have with an open hand and to say, Lord, do with me what you want. There's freedom in that versus always trying to grab things back and to keep things for myself and to keep this and to keep that. You know, there's a freedom, right? (laughs) To just give him what we have. And he doesn't ask uh, he doesn't he doesn't ask his disciples to figure it all out. And how many of you are facing situations where you're like, I don't know the answer to this, you know, I don't know what to do. He doesn't ask them to do that. He just says, Give me what you have. How many, what do you have? Well, I've got a, I've got a phone and I got some time so I could call that person, you know. I've got a couch that I could have have them over and sit on. I got maybe I don't have a lot of food, but I could whip, whip up some ramen noodles or something, you know. I have something. <laughs> I can give you something. And I, I can make a difference. And that's what he asked the disciples to do. Um, this, this is the adventure of following Jesus, just giving him what you have and walking forward in that. 
And so we can ask ourselves as we look at this first passage, you know, is there a crowd in my life? Are there some people that God's calling me to step into their life, right, to take responsibility for a need? Maybe it's not a huge, giant thing. Maybe it's just your neighbor that you know is going through a hard time or a friend at work, right? What kind of sacrifice am I being called to make? Um, that's what Jesus does here with the disciples. And so they have this meeting, and, and then, you, you know, this story never gets old, right? Uh, Jesus blesses the food. They find some fish, too, you know, right? A couple cans of sardines or something, you know, sriracha, you know, hook that up, you know, with some crackers, you know what I mean? Nobody, nobody. A couple of you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Heck yeah. And I don't, I always, like, wonder what this was like, you know? Like, because cause the, the, the food just multiplies, right? <laughs> like, at what point did it multiply? I always wonder that. Like, did someone, like, break the loaf? And then look down and it's like, oh, it's a whole new loaf again, you know? It was a whole other loaf again, you know? Like, where did it multiply? Because, you know, they, they picked up seven baskets full. I always wondered that, you know? Or, or you throw one loaf and, like, three come flying at the next guy, you know? I don't know. But, like, this is a great scene, a great passage where Jesus demonstrates his power over the created world, okay? That where we see, yeah, God has set forth natural laws in place, but he is over and above all that. And Jesus does that here. And there's no doubt, there can be no question, that Jesus did this miracle. 4,000 people. Um, so Jesus loves the crowd. We go to the next kind of passage uh, where Jesus leaves his opposition. Okay, Look at verses 11 through 13. The Pharisees, which were these which were these Jewish religious rulers, the rabbis, they should have been for Jesus, okay? The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Anybody argue with you and you're like, you sigh? You guys want to just do that real quick? Just sigh. Oh gosh. What is it now? What now? You know? What? You know, what did I do now? You know? What do you want to say now? He sighs in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Jesus said. Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. So, Jesus is in his ministry. These Pharisees come. They're they're not new to him. Okay, They've been bothering him. But this is the first time Mark tells us they're just straight up arguing. Okay, Like they came looking for a fight. And... um, the next kind of observation from that I that I learned from about leadership here is that leaders approved by God don't need to prove themselves to men. Leaders approved by God don't need to prove themselves to men. <clears throat> Notice in the text it says that they came seeking a sign from heaven to test him. I don't know if you ever noticed uh, in the Gospels that the Gospels primarily use the word sign to describe the miracles of Christ. Right? The, the word sign is primarily used over, over miracles or other words. And that's because a sign has a purpose, right? A sign points you somewhere. A sign points you to something greater, something more important than the actual sign itself. You don't see a sign and you're like, yes, the sign. <laughs> I'm here now. No, right? The sign points you somewhere. Um, and specifically, all of the signs in the Gospels pointed, point us to something greater. Okay, the, the 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 reality of the kingdom of God, right? The the reality that the, the that there is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and so these Pharisees came seeking a sign. Um, 
They wanted Jesus to prove who he, wa- who he said he was. If you came as a prophet and you said, I'm a prophet, I hear from God, you had to prove that. You had to demonstrate that. And that's what they're doing with Jesus. <clears throat> you know, um, but here's the reality. Uh, how many signs had Jesus done already up until this point? A lot. <laughs> he just fed 4,000. He had already walked on water. He, he had healed a deaf man, a woman who was sick. Right Over and over, he had done all these signs. And so what, what's at the heart of this for the Pharisees isn't Jesus, can you just do another sign? It's the reality that they, that they don't have faith. It's the reality of their unbelief, that they're staying stuck in a, in a place of unbelief before Christ. And that's why they're asking Jesus for another sign. Um, you ever wonder, like, why doesn't Jesus just do something awesome here to just shut them up, you know? Like, just blow, you know what I mean? And, like, they all go flying or something, you know? Like, like a bowling ball, you know, going into the Pharisees, you know, and they all fly away like pins, you know? Like, they never forget, you know, like, but Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He was secure in who he was and in his mission. He didn't have to submit to their requirements to prove something to them again. Right? It's important. You have someone in your life that you feel like you have to keep proving yourself to? Like, you know, for some people it's just never enough, you know? And when someone says, when, when these Pharisees came to Jesus and they, they wanted Jesus to prove them, that, they were trying to exercise this position of power over Jesus. And Jesus wasn't going to play their game. Right? Because his, he was there to please God. He didn't need to please man. Um, and so we can ask ourselves, you know, are we, are we secure? Are we, you know, are we secure in what God has called us to? The Bible talks about being approved by others. Right? That's different than this. Right? When other people confirm your calling and join you in what God's called you to do. That's not what we're talking about. And that's not what the Pharisees were here trying to do. They wanted Jesus to prove himself to them again. And Jesus wasn't going for that. Another thing about leaders is that leaders are personally burdened by unbelief. Jesus was burdened by their unbelief. Because unbelief is what is at the root of this. And Jesus sighs, right? He sighs over it. And, uh, and you know, and, and there's, this, there's this weight there. Like, why does this generation, how long, you know, you know I'm not going to do this for you. But there is a burden here. There is a heart that Jesus has for unbelief in all of our hearts and in the hearts of the Pharisees here. But Jesus doesn't stay there, okay? Jesus actually leaves. Leaders aren't afraid to leave when necessary. It's the next one. And here's something that really gets me. If you look at verse 13, it says really clearly that he left them. Jesus left, you know. Did you know that Jesus left people? Let's sink in your heart for a second. Jesus left people. Some of, you know, we don't really like this. It doesn't feel like lovey and, you know. Right, this... We have this idea and this concept that Jesus will never give up on someone, that, that he'll just put up with nonsense forever, opposition, rebellion. According to this passage, he won't. He left them. You guys see that? They, were, they came arguing. Jesus talked to them for a minute and then got in the boat. They were still there. They didn't become followers. Jesus didn't 
stay with them forever. He left them, right? This is sobering, you know? Maybe you think of stories like the prodigal son. Anybody know that story, the prodigal son, where the parable Jesus tells, where the son goes to the father and says, Dad, I want it to be like you were dead, so just give me your inheritance now. I don't want to live my life with you and our brother, and I'm going to take that money, and I'm just going to go blow it. And that's what he did. He blew it on drinking and prostitutes and all this stuff. And then the son comes back, and the father welcomes the son back. Right? Beautiful story. But we can't forget the first part of the story. (laughs) Right? Where um, the son argues with the father. Right? The son takes the money from the father. The son says he doesn't want anything to do with the father's way of life. And then the son leaves. And what does the father do? He lets him leave. Right? He lets him walk. And if we insist on arguing with Jesus and demanding that he prove himself to us again and again, or we start, we believe that we can live life on our own without him, God might just let you do that. And that's a scary thing. God just might let you go and figure that out. Some of us, that's, that's how we had to get here. We had to go figure it out on our own. Right? We had to go hit our, we had to go hit some walls. We had to go see how empty our lives were living life apart from God. Thankfully, God is like the Father. When He sees us a long way off, He'll run to us and welcome us back in. But man, this is sobering. Jesus left them, man. And, um, you know, I think there's something that we can learn in ministry for this, especially for leaders is that sometimes this is our course of action too, you know, to leave. Or to just trust God with someone and say, God, you've got to deal with this I, and I can't do it. Maybe we come back to that person. But, uh, you know, that, this, is, this is what Jesus does here. Um, he left them standing there with their contrary, just unbelieving, arguing, prideful hearts. I mean, he had showed them over and over who he was, but they still didn't believe. Jesus could let people go. Right? Can you? Right? Can I? He wasn't going to argue on the shore forever. When he had 4,000 people the day before willing to follow him, he had 12, 12 men in the boat wanting to listen to him and follow him. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't make sense if Jesus was like, I'm not going to spend time with the disciples anymore or these 4,000 people. I'm just going to spend all my time with these, these, these few Pharisees who want to argue with me. <laughs> And he just tried to win them over and over. That wouldn't even make sense. Jesus left them. Sometimes you have to leave. And uh, it's sobering, man. But that's what happens. The next passage, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to read it because we're running out of time. But, but basically, Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples and they had forgotten to bring bread. And, so Jesus, and then Jesus begins to warn them. And, and he gives them this warning about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, and in this passage, Jesus is basically warning them against two, two kind of dangers for, for the followers of Jesus. One is the, is the danger of doubt. Okay, Now, doubt is good if you bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I have a question about this. Help me work this out. Right? But doubt is, can be a bad thing. Unbelief can be a bad thing if you use it as a wall to keep God away from you. Right? So he warns them about this. He says, look, don't be like them. They stood on the shore. Right? They're still there. And he also warns them about the leaven of Herod or, or worldliness, right? Being so caught up in the world and in, in, in everything that we see here and, and, and 
and, and just whatever's the latest, newest thing. Okay, so he warns them about that. The interesting thing about a warning, okay, anytime you get a warning, right, is that a warning is a means to an end, right? right? A warning is a means to an end. A warning is so that you don't do this one thing so that life is good over here, right? So that's the purpose of a warning, right? A warning has no value if it's not connected to a greater good, right? There's no warning like, don't eat this ice cream, it's going to taste good. That doesn't make sense, right? But a warning is a good thing if it's going to keep us from a bad thing. And so Jesus warns his disciples here, right? And this is a part of following Jesus. There are times when we need to be warned, <laughs> right? We haven't entered into that sin yet. We haven't entered into that temptation yet. We haven't made that decision yet. And we get a warning, and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Jesus warns his disciples in the boat. And good leaders warn others. That's a part of it. It's a part of it. So there's a lot here, right? And um, there's a lot for us to learn for ourselves about leadership. But there's also a lot for us to think about in our own relationship with Jesus as we follow the perfect leader. And, 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 and so, so as, we just, as I wrap this up, as you think about these three groups of people, you can just ask yourself, you know, where am I in these groups? You know, am I a part of the curious crowd, you know, who's coming to just investigate Jesus? I know that the refuge is a safe place for you to do that in. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Um, I, want, I want you to know this morning that, that Jesus does have compassion on you and that he does love you. And that you can't, that God can't love you and me any more than he does right now. <laughs> He can't love you anymore. That God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and that is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. That He sent His Son to come into the world to love us and to save us and to bring us into a relationship with Him. There's no greater love than this. And so you are loved. And Jesus ultimately though this is during his ministry on earth, he went to the cross and he went to die for all the crowd that were there. And he went to die for us. And he calls us to trust in him and to believe in him. Maybe you're in that crowd. Maybe you're among the opposition, you know. Maybe you have this sense where you kind of like want God to prove himself to you. You know, and I would just, I would just say this, you know, I hope that you guys hear my heart. But if, if that's you this morning... You just need to look in the mirror and go, who do you, and ask yourself, who, you know, who do I think I am? <laughs> to ask God to prove Himself to me. God isn't in our category. <laughs> he isn't, He isn't in our, in our realm. <laughs> God has already demonstrated who He is by the creation. <laughs> by just even the fact that we're in this room right now. That we even care about God. That we have a Bible, right? That there's this loving church called the Refuge, right? Reaching out and loving people. These are all signs of the kingdom. These are all proofs of the reality of God. And when we come to God with that spirit of, God, you've got to prove yourself to me, then we're just like these Pharisees. God doesn't have to prove himself to you. He doesn't need to do another sign. (laughs) He's already done lots. And, you know, the issue for us is that we need to open our eyes. And, you know, we can come to the Lord, and he's gracious, and we can say, Lord, help me to see you. You know, open my eyes. Show me in your word who you are. I don't know who you are. I have doubts. I have fears. You can come to him like that. That's a lot different than the Pharisees, right? <laughs> Coming, arguing, calling him to prove himself. We can come to the Lord like that, and I want to encourage you to do that.
And maybe you're among the disciples here, right? And who are warned. Maybe there are these Maybe there are these doubts coming in. Maybe there is this worldliness coming in where your soul is more captured by the things around you than by the things of God. And you're, you're kind of just limping along with Jesus, and, and, but, yet, but yet you're giving your heart away to whatever the latest thing is. Right? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. If that's where you're at, then I think Jesus would warn you um, to watch out for the leaven. It just takes a little leaven to, to mix into the dough to make bread. It doesn't take a lot. and um, I think there's a warning for all of us here this morning. None of us, ultimately though, can lead like Jesus unless we follow Jesus. <laughs> and that's what he's inviting us to do. And so, um, let me pray. And uh, I'll pass it back to these guys. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you just for, Jesus, who you are. And um, that... Lord, as we lead our own lives and as we lead others, we need help and we can learn great things from you, Jesus, in that. And I uh, thank you, Lord, that for your love for us. I thank you, Lord, just for, just for what you demonstrated, even with the crowds and just um, how you, you know, even spoke to the Pharisees. God, I pray that we'd heed the warnings there, Lord, that we'd heed these things. I pray for all my friends here this morning. Um, Lord, for those of us that feel lost, may we just get a glimpse of you, Jesus, this morning, that you are the good shepherd, that you are the good leader, that we can follow, that we can surrender and yield our lives to um, for the first time or once or, or again uh, for, for the thousandth and first time, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you've done everything that's needed to reconcile us to our Father and to begin, this, to begin a life with you and to walk with you into the great adventure of knowing you, Jesus. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.